Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, I- I'm so glad you're here um, on this Mother's Day. And the first thing that I want to do is just honor all the mothers that are here. Um, I want to honor my mother. She'll, she'll be here second service. Um, my mom was a single mom. She raised me. I had two sisters that were nine and ten years older than me. And I just want to tell you that um, she worked oftentimes two jobs. Uh, she worked tirelessly. And, and I'll tell you that I never, ever once went hungry. I never opened the refrigerator and there wasn't food in there. Maybe not as much as I had to stock with three boys at my house. <laughs> but um, I, never, I never went without a, a roof over my head. I never went without clothes on my back. It may not have been all the cool surf stuff that I wanted at that point in time, but I want to tell you that um, my mom was there for me. Uh, it was really amazing. I, I, she was not a believer. I was not at that point in time. Um, and praise Jesus, she is now. She loves the Lord more than anything. And um, that's the most important thing. But I just want to give her honor today because when I was growing up, I didn't honor her. Um, I just kind of, I went along and I just expected that things were the way that they were. And then um, after giving my life to the Lord, I heard a sermon that was about honoring your parents. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, that cut me like a knife because what I realized was that I had not been honoring my mom. I had not given her at least the honor to say, you, you raised me, you took care of me, and did better than her parents had done for her. And, and that was just, that's amazing. I'd like to give her honor today in that. I'd like to honor my wife, Jennifer, who m- most of you know, for um, being a stay-at-home mom. That's not prescriptive. That's descriptive of our family. We were blessed to be able to do that. Um, and she raised our three boys. I, I, did not, I, I, w- I did not make girls. That was not part of what I could do. Was, I think God... <laughs> God probably knew that, that that would not go well for me. Um, but here's a woman who tirelessly devoted herself. Um, you know, there's, there's not necessarily an income tied to that, but I'll tell you what, everything that I had was always hers, and I, I wanted to make sure that she always knew that. There wasn't my money, her money, and, and, or I was the earner. That was never the case. And so I was often gone for long periods of time. Those of you firemen that are in here know, and, and the wives know that, I don't come home at 5 o'clock, and and she gets to high-five me and hand off the kids. It's just not how it worked. It was oftentimes 48 hours, 72 hours, or two or three weeks. And so I just want to give her honor in that and just say how much I appreciate that. Um, She's not here yet. She'll be here at second service. (laughs) But um, I want to honor those of you families in here, those of you mothers and fathers that have adopted children. I just, we're, we're so good at that here. It's amazing. I told you you started me off with getting, with getting me just emotional. Ah. Um, it is so amazing to be adopted into a family that loves you, that is willing to set aside, you, you know, and, and those of you that already had your own kids, that is, you know, and your kids are willing to set that aside and open up your home um, for people that otherwise wouldn't have one. How amazing is that? And I want to tell you we're so good at that here. And I want to tell you that the commercials that they show about adoption are wrong. It's not all unicorns and, and rainbows, right? I mean, we have significantly hard times. Um, there's sleepless nights. There's a lot of time spent on your knees in prayer. And I recognize that from, from some of our own, <laughs> some of our own uh, workings in that. And I tell you, it is. But the, the, um, the power in that to change somebody's life that would otherwise not be, that that's a representation of Jesus. I want to honor you today for, for that. I want to honor those of you who have lost children. 
I can't even imagine. We have members in our body that have lost children. I can't even imagine. I, I'm not afraid of much. I will tell you that I really am not afraid of much, but that's one of my biggest fears. To see my kids go before me absolutely terrifies me. I don't know how I would do. I mean, just to be 100% honest, and I, I just want to honor um, those, those moms and those families that have lost children. That's, I, I, I want to say that I don't know how you feel. It would be disrespectful of me to say that I know how you feel, because I don't. And I want to honor those that were unable to have children. We have people in this body that years and years and years have tried and tried and were never blessed with children, and I don't know why. Um, I mean, we live in a broken and fallen world, but I want to honor that, how hard that must be. And again, I, I don't know how that is. I have some very good friends that know how that is, and I want to tell you that that had to be so difficult to walk through that. Questioning the Lord, why? It's a fair question. I'm going to tell you, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how you feel. But I'm going to tell you that God understands how you feel. Psalm 34, 17 through 18 says that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near or close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He knows how you feel. I want to also convey that in that, the word in that is righteous. And I want you to understand that we have, if you have bent your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous. The Bible is very clear that only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the most important thing that you will ever do is to ask Jesus into your heart, to ask him to forgive your sins, to be the Lord of your life. That's the way into heaven. That's it. The Bible's very clear on that. Only the righteous. But God gives us the chance for that righteousness. The Hebrew word, dikos, I'm not very good at that, I apologize, um, to justify, to acquit, to vindicate, to declare to be righteous, the act of judging favorably or proving right. This word is related to the adjective of dikuos or righteous, to be justified or shown, declared to be righteous or in the right. Christ's death on the cross said that you were declared righteous. If you honor that death on the cross, if you remember that, if he is the Lord of your life, I'm telling you right now, he has declared you righteous. We don't deserve righteousness. His grace is giving us that righteousness. And I want to say, if you have been declared righteous, God knows exactly where you are at. And even if you haven't yet been declared righteous, that's my prayer for you, is to take that step, because that's the requirement. I want to tell you that we as believers have been justified and declared righteous. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. Romans 5.12, I'm actually going to skip down to 17, says, For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came into increase to trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord.
And Romans 3.23 to 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faithful in Jesus Christ. I just want to say that that is offered to you today. So we're going to talk about honoring our parents. And I want to tell you that it's really easy to go online and, and uh, to find podcasts that talk about honoring your parents. And they don't usually deal with the hard stuff. It usually deals with the command and talking about how we should honor our parents that I mean, we're, we're great parents, and so we're going to get into that day. This, this actually might get a little bit tough. But the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about <clears throat> what the world thinks of motherhood. The world. When I do this, that means not, yeah, right? I'm going to read from, you, from uh, an article that I read, and this was a few quotes from some prominent feminists on motherhood and family. <laughs> My son is laughing. He's like, oh, here we go, Dad. <laughs> Hang on. The, <laughs> Shalomith Firestone says, the heart of a woman's oppression is her childbearing and her child-rearing roles. Wendy Clark says, the family has become a catch-all phrase for everything that we, as feminists, condemn in our society. Family equals oppression, patriarchy, psychosis, neurosis, domestic labor, role stereotyping, gender-specific definitions, stifling relationships, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, children, Financial dependence, marriage, sexual repression, sexual activity, heterosexuality, growing up, living, dying, tradition, delinquency, love, hate, incest, violence, battering, and bad eating habits. <laughs> Simone de Beauvoir says the family is an unseen, or excuse me, obscene bourgeois institution. She goes on to say, even if a woman wants to have children, she must think very hard about the conditions in which she will have to bring them up, because child-rearing at the moment is real slavery. She also goes on to say, no woman should be authorized to stay at home and raise her children. Women should not have the choice, precisely because if there is such a choice, too many women would make that choice. Mary Jo Bain says, in order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from families and communally raise them. Betty Frieden says, homemaking women are prisoners in comfortable concentration camps. <laughs> Sheila Cronin says, since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. And finally, Linda Gordon says, the nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families is now an objectively revolutionary process. I'm telling you that the world is against you, mothers, is against you, families. Now that's not in general, but these are voices that are out there. These are voices that you would think would support the family, that you would think would support motherhood. But I'm going to tell you what, at some point in their life they were damaged. And they were damaged and now, fast forwarding, are speaking against the family unit, the whole family unit, God's designed family unit. What does the Lord 
say about motherhood, most and more importantly. Exodus 20.12, more on this later, but says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. John 19.23-27. I'll start at 25. This is when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. It says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, And Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which would be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the the disciple, he said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour forward, the disciple took her into his his own home. I'm going to tell you that I've read by this verse a whole lot of times, and I completely missed the meaning. I want you to understand that Jesus was transferring sonship to the apostle John right there. He wasn't saying, woman, behold your son, look at me on the cross. He was saying, look at the disciple that I love. And then he said to John, this, behold your mother. And so what he's doing is he's transferring that sonship and he's transferring that mothership. Why? Because he was being crucified and he wasn't going to be on this earth any longer. And so he found it so important that some of the last words that he spoke were to take care of his mother for the rest of her days on earth. Now, make no mistake, I believe that her eternal salvation was sealed. Could we agree that if there was anybody on this earth that knew that Jesus was the Son of God? It was probably her, right? Fairly certain that she was going to spend eternity alongside her son, the father, in a glorified body, right? So, what does it really matter? There's just the short time that's left on this earth. That's not our eternity, but it matters to God. It absolutely mattered to him that he would take care of her for her last days on earth. So Joseph most likely wasn't in the picture anymore. He had probably passed away. We didn't see uh, anything in the gospels about Joseph since Jesus was about 12, their last visit to Jerusalem. So the likelihood of him being around or the probability is that he probably was not. So she would have been a single mother, a widowed single mother. And as as Jesus passes away, as he's crucified, the reality is is that she probably would have been destitute. She probably would have not been able to take care of herself. She wouldn't have been able to own property. She wouldn't have been able to make enough living to take care of herself. And he recognized this, and he says, Mom, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to transfer that sonship, and and you will be taken care of. I'm going to tell you that this is what God thinks about you as a mother. He cares. He's worried about that. He's worried more just... You know, he's worried about our eternal salvation, but he does care about our time on this earth, and that's extremely important. I'm going to tell you that God places an immense value on motherhood, an immense value. He's, he is a respecter. So let's talk about honoring our parents. Why do we honor our parents? First and foremost, the easiest part is because we are commanded by the almighty creator of the universe, Right? This is funny. I was, uh, we were having uh, dessert with Matt and Margo the other night. Jen and I were. And I, I love hanging out with Matt and Margo because they really sharpen me. Like, honestly, they're, you know, it's, it's definitely a, um, sometimes, what do they call it, like a, a, a heated fellowship or something like that. But anyway, it's funny because sometimes I'm just willing to land on a commandment. Sometimes I'm willing to land on a verse and say, just because God said so. But that doesn't make it easy for everybody else, and not all the time is it easy to land on that. Sometimes we have to in order to just push ourselves forward and say, I'm having such a hard time getting through this. But he counted this top 10, 
right next to murder, adultery, thievery, you know, covetousness. I mean, this is top 10. So it's just interesting because we, we weren't talking about this specifically, but sometimes I'm just willing to land on the idea that God said that I need to honor my parents. And I'm going to get into why that's extremely difficult. So honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the only command, or commandment that's followed by a promise. It's, it's, he places a lot of importance on this, right? You'll live long in the land that I give you. The Hebrew verb is kabed, or honor, refers to reverence and respect. This is a verb that he uses both in the relationship with the father and mother and the relationship between God and his children. It's, kinda, it's got a duality, which shows the, the amount of importance that's put on there. So that's easy enough, but some might say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament, right? That you, you're pulling out commands that are from the Old Testament. I would like to remind you that there is, in fact, no left half and the right half of the Bible. I mean, technically there is. But back in the time where Jesus is, is speaking these things, the Old Testament didn't exist, did it? I mean, we call it the Old Testament now. We've given it that moniker. What it would have been called was, would be the Torah or the sacred writings. Okay, And especially at that point in time, the New Testament didn't exist. It hadn't been documented yet for the most part. right? Can we agree on that? This book right here is not the Old Testament versus the New Testament. This book is the story of Jesus and his redemption value. We've been studying Genesis. We find Jesus all throughout Genesis. We find his redemption, that he has always been the plan. And we have to understand that we take this book as a whole, right? Amen. <clears throat> have God's laws changed? I would say no. Matthew 5.17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Right? Keep in mind that most of the scriptures that he quoted were from the Torah. He actually quoted all these things because the people that he was speaking to, the Hebrews, the Jews, the Pharisees of the time, they knew that. They knew it backwards and forwards. And so that's why he quoted those things. So I would have a hard time saying that those things are canceled out. When the Savior of the world is quoting those directly, I think that he places an immense amount of importance on that. Do the unrighteous inherit the kingdom? No, they don't. Remember that we must be declared righteous by Jesus, by faith in Jesus. Ponder the question, could one complete the law and have access to heaven? That would be a tough one. I, I would say that I don't know that anybody could do it. I believe Jesus gave somebody the opportunity. Mark 10, 17 through 22, as he was setting out on his journey, a man came up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Rhetorical question. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept since my youth. Okay. <laughs> and he said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come to follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great treasures. Had he been following all the laws? No. He was putting money right ahead of God. He was just unwilling to give up that thing that he counted most important. I've done all these things. Cool, give me your money. 
Ah, do we have to touch that? I mean, <clears throat> we've got to remind ourselves that we're not under that law. We're under the law of grace. Christ came to fulfill that. If you have bent your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he has fulfilled the law in his sacrifice and hanging on the cross. That's the most important thing to remember about this, that we want to be under that law of grace because trying to be under the, the Old Testament law would be, I, I know I couldn't do it. I, by the time I was about two, I was done already. Uh, we'll talk about tradition over honor. Mark, uh, we're going to read 9 through 13, uh, chapter 7. He's speaking to the Pharisees at this point in time, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, and a Corban is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the word of God void by your tradition that you have handed down. And so what he's saying here is, that Corbin is something that we're, we're taking all of our things and we're giving that to God. There's, I, can't, I can't give that to anybody else. And so the Pharisees are saying, well, you give everything that you have to God, now you have nothing left for your parents. And I, I want to just tell you that I just don't think that that's God's prescription, right? God would not see you leave your parents destitute and not take care of them on this earth. I just don't see that. That's not honoring of our father and mother. Amen. Again, this is top 10. Honoring our parents that don't deserve honor. What about parents that don't deserve honor? Well, let me ask you what our definition of someone who deserves honor is. That would have to be a worldly definition. Who decides whose parents are worthy or deserving of honor? Are they good or worthy or deserving. It's funny when I, I greet Matt, you know, how you doing? Good. Hey, nobody's good except for God. Okay. You're right, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Mark 10, 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? That's that rhetorical question. No one is good except God alone. What is our standard? Some of you might be sitting here saying, yeah, but you don't know my dad. My dad is not worthy of honor. You don't know what he has done. Now I'm going to tell you, you're right. I don't know your dad. So I'm going to tell you a story about my dad. My dad, my father, left when I think I was two. I actually honestly don't have any memories of my father. I have one memory of my dad that I was on his back hiking up the trail to the Lakes Canyon in, in Levining, and the only thing that I can remember is the smell of the aspens and the creek. That's, that's really the only memory that I have of my father. He left when I was two. We got a check once a month for 100 bucks for child support, and I never ever once got a letter from him. I never got a phone call. I was his only son. He didn't have any other children. I had two sisters, but they were from my mom's first marriage. And so I never got anything. For, I wrote him a letter one time. I'm like, why don't you write me? I'm, I'm your son. Why is it that you didn't get a response? It wasn't until I was about 16 or 17, I happened to run into him at the family ranch. He was down there, and I was visiting. And 
by chance I saw my dad I hadn't seen in 16, 17 years, ever. And so I began to reconnect a little bit with him, but I want to tell you that that's not even half of the story. My dad left because my mom kicked him out because he had abused both of my sisters. And then he remarried another woman and come to find out years later that he had abused both of her daughters as well. And so when, when that all came out from, from her daughters, it was, she, one of the daughters was in, um, was in a ministry school, and that finally comes out. And the pastor's like, you haven't told anybody about this? She's 25 at the time, maybe. And she actually finally came clean with this. And so when his wife at the time found out, they were going to press charges. They were going to do all that stuff. And my dad had early on told those girls, he said, if you ever tell anybody, I'll kill myself. So when they all found out, he walked out in the garage and he strung himself up from the rafters and he hung himself and killed himself. And I want to tell you that I understand. How do you honor a person like that? By all intents and purposes from the world's definition, that man is evil. And most people would celebrate that. They would say, good riddance, he deserved to die. But I'm going to tell you that's not God's heart for that. And I'm going to tell you that my heart was broken for that man at that point. I don't hold anything against him. He ruined my sister's lives to this day. They've had a hard time. But there's, a, there's just a few ways that I can honor him. Cambridge Dictionary defines deserve as to have earned or to have been given something because of the way you have behaved, the qualities that you have. I want to tell you that what we deserve is not what we're getting. If you've bent your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we are inheriting the kingdom of God, we didn't deserve that. Christ, when he walked up the hill to Calvary and he was nailed to the cross and he was beaten and crushed and he was bruised, he didn't deserve that. He lived a sinless life. He didn't deserve the death for those that would spit on him and say, hail king of the Jews. Why can't you get yourself off the cross and save yourself? And as he looked back, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they say. I want to tell you, he didn't deserve that. And we don't deserve what he's given us. So we have to change our definition of what we deserve. Because I'll just tell you that I don't deserve what I'm getting. <laughs> I deserve eternal damnation, but Christ has justified me, has said, you're clean. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We've got to remember that all who bend their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ have been, have been justified. And I, and I want to tell you that the way that I can honor my Father is, number one, to remember that He was created as as in the, in the likeness of, of God. He was, he's a created being. That's not to say that somebody didn't intersect him at a point in time in his life and destroy that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, there's nobody in this world that at five years old says, when I grow up, I want to be an abuser. Or I want to be strung out on drugs, living on the street, and homeless. I have to remember that every day at work. Because... I deal with that a lot. There's some of you in here that know, that, that have that firsthand experience. But I want to tell you that God's redemption is for everybody. Yeah. Is absolutely for everybody. Yeah. 
I never, I, I think that if you ask my boys that I never really spoke poorly about my father, probably could have, but I think that the other way that I honor him is to not bash him for my own children. I think, I think it would probably be fair to say, if you ask Corbin and Ash who are sitting here, did your dad ever continue to bash your father? I, I, don't, I, I don't think I did. I mean, so that's a way that I honor that. Honoring, understanding that he needed salvation and that he was a created being. If our parents are not believers, we must continue to love in our parents through telling them the good news about the, Christ, the price that Christ paid on the cross. I'm going to tell you what, we don't want them to pass into eternity without the option of hearing the gospel and being redeemed. If you have bent your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. Why would we not want that for our parents? Who may be the worst of the worst. That's what God's heart is. James 3, 8 through 12 says, But no man being, no human being, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce frigs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I'm going to tell you that that's talking about cursing people with the same mouth that we bless the Lord. It's not for us to curse people. We should be sharing the gospel. We should have that heart of the Lord that says, I don't want my parents to enter eternity and go the wrong direction. That's God's heart. If our parents are believers, we should approach them humbly and with grace in mind and use the Matthew 18 principle. I'm going to tell you, we want to restore relationship. We should be reconciling broken relationships. We should be humbling ourselves and taking the first step to reconcile those relationships. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and, hymn, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. This is how we should be approaching our parents, even the difficult ones. I'm telling you, I know it's hard. My parents don't treat me with respect. This is a quote. My mom actually treats me with a significant amount of respect. I really appreciate that. But what if I have parents that don't treat me with respect? I believe that honoring our parents does not include allowing them to run us over. Right? If we have a toxic relationship with our parents, I believe that we can solve that. And I believe that sometimes we might have to put that on pause. I think that we can set boundaries with our parents it's fair enough to say, you know what, Dad? I just don't appreciate it when you speak to me like that. It's just really shameful, and it's not helpful. That's a fair boundary that we can set, and that's reasonable. 
I'm going to tell you that every counselor worth their salt will tell you that setting boundaries is actually a really good thing. And it's beneficial and it's helpful. It can be helpful to the relationship. Because if we continue in toxicity, that's definitely not helpful to, to the relationship. I believe it's honor to set those boundaries and let our parents know how we would like to be treated. We can set ground rules with the intent of reconciliation with our parents. That should be our intent. We had to personally set some boundaries. Um, this was several years ago. And so this was dealing with Jennifer's father. And I'm going to tell you, Jennifer's dad is a wonderful man. He's passed away. He had Alzheimer's. He was an awesome father. The point in time which I intersected the family, I mean, he, he might have been rough and rowdy when he was younger. But I'm going to tell you, that man got up every morning with a bowl of cereal and the Bible in his hand. He loved, loved, loved the Lord. I never even heard him raise his voice in the family. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. But Alzheimer's kind of flipped that. Unfortunately, I think that sometimes that happens. And at one point in time, it, it became to where he started to cuss at the kids. Like he was, he was getting that far gone. And I'm going to tell you, that was not his heart. That was not his character. That was the disease. And so we actually had to set a boundary at that point in time. We said, we can't bring the kids around Dwayne anymore. And that was heartbreaking because I'm going to tell you, he loved he loved my boy. He loved, he's got like 27 grandchildren. Loves all of them. I don't remember the exact count. But um, we did that because I wanted to honor him in the memory for, our grand, for his, my children, his grandkids. I think that that was an honorable thing to do, was to set a boundary and go, I just don't think that it's healthy anymore. And I'm going to tell you that that's just, it's hard to do. It really is. I want to tell you that this is one of the things that I remember Important, I'll share a story real quick here in a second. God loves them as much as he loves us, right? Even the redeemed ones. Asher used this phrase on me the other day. I, was, I think somebody had pulled out in front of me, and I was like, ah! and he's passenger. She's all, you know, Dad, God loves them just as much as he loves you. I'm like, I know. But true story, true story. Luke 15, 4 through 7 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together the friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over the 99 that need no repentance. If you have bent your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're a part of that 99. And our parents that have not, who are the worst sinners in the world, who are my dad, the abuser, God would rejoice if he had come back. I'm going to tell you that he rejoices over every person that does not deserve the kingdom but Christ has justified. And when they come to that realization, it is rejoicing. Absolute rejoicing. That's how I honor my father. Can we honor our parents because it's God command, God's commandment? Some of us can. I just have a few questions. Can we honor our parents because it's a similar relationship that we have with the Father God? Or can we honor our parents because we have God's heart and desire for relationship? He desires reconciliation. I'm going to land on this. The primary example of honoring our parents is Jesus. 
John 8, 28 says, So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. And finally, Matthew 26, 36-42. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit while I go over here and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for one more hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I'm going to sum it up with this. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The ultimate honor of our parents is Jesus honoring the Father when he was about to be crucified for a whole bunch of wretched people that didn't deserve it. That's the, that's the example. I'm telling you, this is the example. And I'm going to tell you, I know that this is hard. There's no easy way about it. But God wants reconciliation and restoration. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for... Um, I thank you so much for our mothers. I thank you for our fathers. I just I thank you so much that you've died for us on the cross, God, and I just pray that we draw near to you. I pray that you give us our heart, your heart for our parents, no matter what the situation, God. I pray that you would just keep us in an attitude of reconciliation. I pray that you would keep us in an attitude of being for them and wanting them to be that one lost sheep that comes back into the fold. I keep I pray that you would keep us in an attitude of reconciliation with our parents that we may not agree with, God, that we would keep moving forward in reconciliation. And Lord, I thank you so much for our mothers that are here today, and I pray that you'd bless them richly today in Jesus' name.